And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through Friday. On the Athletic Podcast Network. Tamper with you. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Panic. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To be able to people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong. Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to put in coming to rank. Trial, you're one with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast. This is Sam Amick, national writer at The Athletic for the NBA. Here, as always, we got Anthony Slater on the West Coast, regular of the show, the other regular who we have missed dearly out on the East Coast. Not only are we welcoming back the great Fred Katz, we're welcoming back the great Fred Katz with a new job title. Freddie, what's up, brother? What's going on? A lot is up. So many things are up. I'm in a new city, new job. But I still get to talk to you guys, so the best of everything. <laughs> we love you. We appreciate you. Give us the breakdown, uh, and we're gonna, you know, merge this into today's uh, discussion for sure, and talk about the new squad that you're covering. You Wizards for for how many years on the? Uh, I was on, on the Washington beat for three years. Okay, obviously coming out of the the Norman transcript previous to that, covering the Thunder. Now your third NBA team that you're covering is. Well, don't don't forget about my uh, Rasheed Wallace Hawks like stint covering the Celtics. <laughs> oh baby, how long was that? That's not. That was. That was I like think, a month. I think I broke the record for the <laughs> longest you can. I I at the very least had to tie the record for the longest you can cover a team without actually covering one of their games. Because which I, was how long? I started the Monday after they got eliminated from the 2018 Eastern Conference Finals. And uh, my last day was was the Friday before media day. So I, I really just I covered the 2018 offseason for about three months. And then I took the Wizards job. And now I'm uh, covering the Knicks of New York. The Knickerbockers. Of what, arguably of Westchester, the most. right, Fred? The Knicks of more of Westchester than of New York. I, I'm up in Westchester every single day at that practice facility. So so that drive is how long? For me, uh, from where I am in the city, it's like 45 minutes without traffic, but it's New York City. So nine hours traffic with traffic. Is, it's, it's about 10 hours and 23 minutes on average, which is fine. You know, that's both ways. So it's really five, five hours and a little over. It's fine. So do do, we talked about this offline. Does every Knicks beat rider, you have to have a car, right? Most folks in New York City try to avoid having wheels, but but does every Knicks beat rider, you think, actually have to uh, own a car? Yes. I am the only Knicks beat rider that lives in the city, I think. 
Okay. And most Knicks players don't live in the city. Most of the players live out in the suburbs because it's more convenient with the practice facility being outside of the city as well, which is, which is for those who don't know, not common. I mean, you know, most of the time the practice facility is, is very close to the arena. Uh, sure. And, and you, you keep them, you know, even in, uh, there's, there's, know, there was, there's teams that have them in the arena. I cover the Warriors. Theirs is in yeah. their arena. And I think that's re- becoming more common because of the convenience. The really inconvenient one, which has since been solved, is is right when the Nets moved to Brooklyn, they hadn't they finished Barclays and and were ready to move to Brooklyn before they had built their new practice facility in Brooklyn. So there was a little window there where the Nets had already moved from Jersey to Brooklyn, but their practice facility was still in East Rutherford, New Jersey. And so they had to play in Brooklyn and then practice in another state. And that was extremely inconvenient for those players and everybody around the team, I'm I'm sure. But now they're in Brooklyn and their facility is is pretty close to their arena. So they're they're fine. All right, brother. Well, congrats on the job change. We're excited for you. We're gonna get into a lot of Nick stuff today. Here's what we got in the show. Uh, and it's coming together nicely as we just have a a new guest here that I'm going to bring in 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 a quick second. We're going to try to make the rounds, not the entire league by any means, but each of us is going to pick a couple teams to analyze, examine, discuss. But before we get to that, uh, we want to be a little more topical. We have the one and only John Krasinski on with us right now, coming at you from Minnesota. John had a good piece today with Kelly Eco, our Rockets beat writer, on Ben Simmons, which is officially, you know, the Ben Simmons saga is the thing that, even on a podcast like this, I feel like we're going to have to mention it at least you know every single time until it's resolved. It's one of those situations. But John and Kelly uh, had a smart angle where they decided you know to take a step back from a macro point of view and examine what happens with these teams with superstars that decide that they don't want to play for that franchise, but then also decide to to be around their team and be uncomfortable around their team and and just the human experience for everybody involved. How do you get through that? And as it relates to Ben and the Sixers, you know, what impact or what part might that play if he decides to come back? John, we always love having you on, brother. This is uh, normally it's all T-Wolves all the time. This is through the Jimmy Butler lens, obviously, in your experience covering that that situation. How are you, sir? Good, Sam. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this was a, a fun one to work on with Kelly, trying to get different angles and things. And of course, Kelly lived the James Harden situation last year and I lived the Jimmy Butler divorce uh, a couple years back and so it seemed like kind of fun to put our brains together and and talk to people about you know what's life like in this incubator that the Sixers are in right now and um and so there's some pretty revealing stuff in there no it was good and and for the quick update if anybody hadn't been tracking it you know if you go back to early last week um, I'd reported on, when it comes to Ben the way that he sees the situation specifically Joel Embiid that you know that I guess the line that got the most play was that that dynamic and that duo had run its course through Ben's you know perspective, and that was a little more. I mean, listen, I, I was a little struck by the reaction, but I guess it makes sense. It was more on the nose, if you will, than than the previous stance of I don't want to play for the Sixers anymore. Joel had a lot to say in response, and and a lot of it was very sound rationale and his feeling that that a lot of the roster decisions for the Sixers last couple of years had been with Ben's strength and weaknesses in, in mind. So including the Jimmy Butler one, you know, to just yeah. kind of tie it all back together. And that to for me sure. is the one that does seem like a pivot point for them, right? Just that that because right now who would you rather have? <laughs> you know, if you were choosing between the two. 
Um, so anyway. That's well, it's also, Slater, to your point, like it's it, the thing, just being honest as a reporter, like I, I love it when when subjects start getting honest, right? When they stop playing that like this was the thing nobody wanted to say out loud for a couple of years. But and Sam Amick's reporting it. made him say it. That was not how I was framing that. But like, yeah, like it's just this is kind of something we knew. The Jimmy Butler leaves Philly subplot had always been a little strange because nobody, again, really wanted to say, well, Ben needs the ball and Jimmy's taking all the big shots in the fourth quarter along with Joe. And that doesn't really work for Ben's ego, if we're being honest. And so, you know, we learned a little bit about that. Um, But again, John, you you and Kelly, uh, you kind of just brought people in. You talked to a lot of front office folks, former players and and people who, you know, obviously had to be anonymous to be honest and candid. But um, what did you learn through the the reporting and and writing of that story? Yeah, I I think one of the things that we always see in these situations is at the outset of it, when Jimmy Butler first requests a trade, when Ben Simmons, it's first reported that he's not showing up to camp, things like that. You always see the team say, well, we're just going to focus on the guys that are here. Uh, We can make this work. We hope that in the long term we can uh, get our, our our disgruntled star back on the same page. And oh, by the way, we're not going to be pressured into some kind of a bad deal for uh, pennies on the dollar while we do it. We can ride this out. We're not going to let it distract us. We're not going to let it get to us in any way. But what talking to executives and players who have gone through this in other situations say, like, you can have all these best laid plans. Like, you can say to yourself, we're not going to let this get to us, but it's a whole nother world. Once the media starts descending on you and asking you every single day about your, your star, who's not there or who is there and is trying to make things difficult. Once teammates start to kind of think about, Hey, maybe Ben Simmons, isn't the only one that's going to be traded here. Maybe I'm going to be going out. Um, Once agents try to get involved and try to figure out where their players are going to be and, and keep everyone on the same track like there are so many pressures that are involved ownership corporate sponsors if a team's name is being dragged through the mud like if it's getting really ugly fans obviously get really upset and so it kind of just we tried to paint the picture of okay what's the actual reality you can say all you want about this is not going to be a big deal we're not going to let it get in the way and we want you know, Ben to come back and all this, but what is the actual reality with it? And what these folks said is that in reality, it's really hard to concentrate on the game, to not get caught up in it and not to just get aggravated when every single media availability is Ben related, is Jimmy related, is, you know, is James Harden related. And so it really does wear on people when you're in the middle of it. What's it do to the feeling? Cause I mean, you, I, I like that there's a situation in Philadelphia, by the way, which is so much drama around a particular player who doesn't play for the Timberwolves. And John is like, oh, I've got Come experience in. in this. this, is, this is me. <laughs> Let yep. me handle this. I know drama. <laughs> uh, what what did you notice, though, from the front office perspective? Because because obviously in retrospect, like that. The Jimmy Butler situation was kind of the the most famous point of a series of points, which led to a, an entire turnover inside the Timberwolves organization, right? So when that kind of stuff happens in an organization, I, I know there is immediately some kind of uneasiness 
that goes throughout the entire organization because people are worried about themselves as well, right? So what was your perspective of seeing that when you were covering it? Yeah, it was really interesting, Fred, because for in the in the Jimmy situation with Minnesota, Tom Thibodeau was the president of basketball operations and the head coach at the time. And he, I think, knew deep down, like he had to find a way to try to convince Jimmy to stay. Um, yeah, I think the Rockets kind of eventually begrudgingly came to the acknowledgement, OK, we got to move James Harden. I think the Sixers, even though they say no, they they. they they, they know that they'll, they'll eventually have to move Ben and, and move on from this. But for Tibbs, it was um, as soon as Jimmy is traded, then all of a sudden your hold on this job really becomes tenuous. And so there was a period of time that was quite a while, actually, throughout the summer and then even throughout training camp and into the season where Tom Thibodeau believed that. There was some way if we just keep going forward, if we just get him on the court and just keep playing, that things will eventually work out and he'll change his mind and want to stay. Now, those who know Jimmy Butler say that that was never going to happen, but that was kind of the dynamic that they were trying to work through. And while that is happening, then you have other people in the organization saying, man, Tibbs, this ain't it. Like, you, you got to change your perspective on this. We're, you, you, we got to figure out a way to to find an exit strategy that 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 works for us and, and isn't as painful and Tibbs just really did dig in and and try to hold the fort and that's how you get to a point mid or uh, in in middle of November where they had lost five games in a row they're out in Sacramento as Sam was out there with them and they never reached forget a point, that yep they 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 reach a point in overturn and all of a sudden you're taking Robert Covington Dario Saric and Jared Bayless for one of the ten to 12 best players in the league with no first round picks. So that's kind of the, you know, I, I know Daryl Morey has said, well, we want Ben Simmons back. We want him back. Joel Embiid is saying the same thing. One of the executives in my piece said, you do not want him to come back. Like right. that's the worst possible scenario because that only increases the pressure, makes it even messier and even harder to kind of extricate yourself from it. Well, and, and here's my understanding on the Simmons front. There has been some reporting elsewhere that yeah, I think Ramona Shelburne at ESPN had said that the Simmons camp is, quote, in it for the long haul. And so they're kind of putting the messaging out that he'll be willing to continue losing money. You know, that $8.25 million payment the other day didn't come his way, although also reporting that eventually he'll probably get that back. Um, my I pushed pretty hard in the, in the process of reporting the piece last week to get clarity on his plan going forward. And it was not told definitively that there's no way he will return. Instead, what I was told was that it was essentially, if he does, and this, you know, this kind of dovetails perfectly into your piece, John, is that first of all, it's just kind of a very clear message of you're not going to get a guy who is mentally engaged. You're not going to get a guy who is invested. Um, even like distinctions between, well, of course he would talk to his teammates because he cares about teammates in general. But, you know, the inference was like, good luck getting communication with anybody else. Now, he and Elton Brand have a good relationship. That's the, I think, the one connection point he still has with the franchise beyond that. I just, I don't think there's any loyalties anywhere. Um, so you're dead on. I think if he did end up deciding to come back just for the sake of the money, then it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to, you know, potentially derail the Sixers season. They can still win a lot of games without Ben Simmons. It, it also, and this is not going to become the Jimmy Butler pod, but man, John, you're bringing me back from a, a memory standpoint. You know, you talk about that word, just, just, you know, uncomfortable discomfort. 
I mean, I was, I wasn't even there every day like you were. When they rolled through Sacramento, you walk in that locker room. And again, this is literally the night that Jimmy gets traded to Philly. Um, you know, you go try to talk to other guys on the team in a casual kind of way. And it's like, you know, going to a friend's house and he, you, you, you can pick up on the fact that he and his wife are fighting or something. You know what I mean? It's like you're trying to talk to people and they're just looking around like, yeah, this ain't the time, bro. Yeah. You know, it was really uncomfortable. And then as an aside, this still blows me away. I think I might've said this on the pod before, like John, that, that, that interview that I did with Jimmy the night he got traded, learning after the fact that he gave a candid long Q and a about his situation while Already knowing that he had been traded, which he certainly did not share with me at the time, was fairly epic. You know, he sat there acting like this thing wasn't a wrap and he was basically packing bags for Philly. He admitted that to me, I don't know, a couple months after the fact because I, I had heard it elsewhere. So, yeah, I mean, it's uncomfortable. It does make for good copy. You know what I mean? It gives us something to talk about. And if Ben comes back to camp, that's why they shouldn't want it, right? Is because it's just going to restart the entire news cycle. It will not be about their season. Well, the thing – do we think that Ben Simmons is built like that at all? I mean, like Jimmy Butler lives no. in the uncomfort, right? Like he was right. – I mean, you're mentioning it right there. He probably enjoyed telling you like, ha-ha, like I know I have the locker room <laughs> like that. Um, and even James Harden, who who's not quite built Jimmy Butler style, like he's a little bit less like that, like he got – really out of shape and then was half-assing it in regular season games that they were playing. And he was like throwing the ball and like walking over to the other side of the court. No, if, he, he had a full ass at that point. I'm just going to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, if Ben Simmons, I don't think personality wise is about to come back and just, you know, certainly he's not going to Jimmy Butler it. And I mean, John was there like, just like take over the gym and just like really take over the team's personality at that point. Um, and then, if, it, you know, I don't know how, when he's thinking about maybe coming back and trying to, you know, one up it and get it even more uncomfortable. But if Philly starts the season, like, I don't know, five and two and Maxi's had like a couple 20 point games, they might be sitting there like feeling kind of good about themselves, too. Uh, it, it, I'm just saying, like, I, I'm not sure Simmons it, will be able to 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 create the situation that Butler or Harden did. One yeah. thing I, I will say, Sam, just getting back on your point of like they might not want him to come back and, and the point that you made in your story, John, it, the difference with Simmons and the other guys is that from a basketball perspective and what complicates this, Simmons is at basically his lowest value since he came into the league right now after what happened in the postseason. So there's this weird juxtaposition. We're from an emotional and from a like a off the court team building perspective. Maybe you don't want him to come back because it just makes things so uncomfortable. And unless you have people who thrive in the uncomfortable, like say Jimmy Butler, uh, nobody else is going to enjoy that situation. It could just turn into a miserable emotional situation for your team. But that being said, I don't know if you're Philly, like I. I was somewhat skeptical of Philly trading Simmons right away. I'm talking like right after the playoffs because I just I figured the last taste in the rest of the league's mouth right now is seeing Simmons give up open dunks in the playoffs and just looking like a guy who was talented but even more flawed than the people who thought he was flawed already thought, you know? And 
they needed to find some kind of way to recover that value and getting people think like, okay, he's 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 a, he's an all-star again. This is a guy who we can still build around and make one of our two pieces on a winning team. Uh, so there's that other side of it too, where it's like, they might have to recover some of his basketball value too. And it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's difficult to tell that line because you're kind of messing up one of them either way. Well, yeah. Sorry, just just real quickly on that, and and the, the 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 thing that makes this also different from Rockets and Timberwolves is the Sixers are trying to win a title, you know, while they're doing all of this, and so like that, I think you, like the Rockets knew when they traded Harden, we're blowing it up, we're 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 starting over, we're playing for picks. The Wolves tried to kind of hold on, but they knew in essentially when when Jimmy left that that their chances of of being a factor in the West were were out of it. The Sixers are going to try to do all of this, whether they bring Simmons back or not, whether you and and, and try and maximize Embiid's window, and and so that's what just adds a whole nother layer to all of the tension that is going to be permeating that whole locker room, that whole organization. I, th- I would follow. Here's my thing, there, John. First of all, like it's fool's gold for them to continue thinking they're contending for a title right now because. It's not like Ben's not going to be happy and change his stance and be there. Ben happy, Ben fitting into what they have. Yeah, then they are for sure. But I, if I was Ben and you're as this staring contest continues, you know what would worry me is that, you know, we haven't even mentioned the, the central character who took part in the Rocket situation and is now heading up the Philly situation, Daryl Morey. You know, obviously he was, you know, with Philly at the time of the Harden trade, but, and I know Daryl very well. If I'm Ben, here's what worries me. In terms of a possible trade happening and Daryl finally being compelled to get a deal done, to have a player or players that excite him enough to put Ben in a new jersey, in a new city. Daryl has spent the last you know several years, five, six, seven years, around some of the best players in the history of the game. And I think he has got a very high standard for guys who get him excited. And all the deals that I continue to hear about as realistic possibilities for Ben Simmons are just the type of thing that that make Daryl Morey shrug his shoulders. And other than Damian Lillard, which we've talked about before on the show, that, that that's clearly his dream prospect, I don't know where a deal gets done because I, I feel like all these other things are not moving the needle at all, uh, given you know what he wants. You could argue that some of them would put them in an okay spot, but in terms of star power, which is what he's grown accustomed to, it's just not there. Yeah, that, that's why you wait. That's why you wait until the season, because situations unsettle. The Blazers start poorly. The Warriors start poorly. Something happens that that, that can unsettle another situation. And again, right. as we talk about the differences between the Rocket situation with Harden and the Wolves situation with Butler is, I think Philly has enough talent, particularly with Embiid and MVP candidate, to sustain for a month or two. To be, you know, in, I agree with you, they're not obviously a, a title contender with no Ben Simmons, no return for Ben Simmons, but they could be the four seed, the five seed in the East for for a month or two. And then maybe come January, the Warriors are desperate. The Blazers are desperate. Lillard's like, I don't, you know, like this situation here or something like that. And and that is where I, that's really Maury's last play. To me, I've said it on this podcast before. To me, February trade deadline is his deadline. Well, and And, that's the risk, Slater. You're right. You're totally right about that. Here's the, the only risk involved there is I've talked to a ton of people around the league. And I tried to get into it in this story a little bit, but but more macro is everyone in the wrong league says if anyone, if there's any executive in the entire NBA who can shut out all the media 
you know, hype, all of the, uh, all of the drama, all of the outside noise and endure kind of a standoff like this, it's Daryl Morey. Like he has the stomach to be able to do this. What you find though, in these situations is the longer it goes on, you all of us Tibbs was the most stubborn person in the history of stubborn people. And like, he really wanted to dig in <laughs> on Jimmy Butler. Like he really wanted to say, no, we're not doing it. But the longer it goes on, in, that's the key Slayer. They like the Sixers have to have success. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. if you don't, if you stumble out of gates, if you're one in four, then Embiid gets involved, then doc rivers gets involved, then your ownership gets involved. And all of, all of a sudden it's taken out of your hands. Yeah, their record early in the season is probably the most important record yep. in the league. No doubt. Well, and and then, you know, the Damian situation, we talked offline before jumping on the pod today about his situation a little bit. You know, our, our tra- uh, Blazers beat writer Jason Quick had a good piece kind of giving the updated landscape on Dame and how he sees things. And, and, and for now, as they go into the, you know, this is the optimistic season for everybody, his tone has certainly changed from the offseason. He talks about wanting to persevere through tough times. And and this is how his entire life has been. And he's now kind of reapplying that ethos to the Portland situation. But Slater, to your point, that's for now. And if you're Daryl, you know, you, maybe you do wait it out and see if the Blazers start under 500, see if Dame does kind of restart this conversation. Uh, in the absence of that, you know, if I'm handicapping, I think Ben continues to stay away, continues to lose boatloads of money and, and just waits to see what happens because he's not you hit on it earlier Slater the difference in personality between James and Jimmy and Ben Ben is in what you would describe as like a very it's kind of a sheepish time for Ben right like there's so much focus on his deficiencies as a player you're coming back in that locker room as the guy who had a terrible finish to the postseason you don't have the swagger that that James Harden and Jimmy Butler had those two dudes looked around and it was basically like, no, you can't handle me and everything I come with. I'm so incredible, and and you guys can't keep up. I mean, that was almost the the thread between those two guys, and that's not the case with Ben. You don't think you don't think he's gonna come back and, and yell at everyone in the locker room, and then sit down with Sam Amick for a big Q and A, and just <laughs> or, or call Rachel Nichols in, you know, to do a, a you know a scripted uh, appearance on the jump. Don't forget, yeah, he's gonna beat yeah. the starters, start yeah. screaming. Stringers, the, oh yeah. The thing I never <laughs> understood. <laughs> The thing I never understood about Jimmy Butler playing with the third stringers and beating the starters is when he reportedly turned to Minnesota management and started screaming, you need me, you need me, which is the exact opposite message that he was trying to convey in getting traded. He should have come in and got his ass kicked. No sense. He should have been saying, he should have come in and got his ass kicked by the starters and been like, you don't need me. Look at the starters. Robert Covington is a much better glue guy than me. Like, if Jimmy Butler, if I'm Tibbs and Jimmy Butler starts screaming, you need me, you need me, I'd be like, I know. That's what I've been telling you. That's right. You just made my point for me. All right, guys. We're going to segue. And my last thought on this note uh, before we take a quick break and change topics is and again i keep going down memory lane johnny like okay the night that jimmy gets traded and you know these stories but like our friend and colleague bill orham lakers beat writer was in town for a lakers kings game that was i think the next night right so he's already in sack and he texts me and says hey a couple of us la media folks are grabbing a beer at a, a hotel near the kings arena do you want to come say hello to this day i'm so happy that that bill you know, unknowingly pulled me into this space. I go to the Citizen Hotel in downtown Sacramento to just say hello to them for a minute before going home. And in the corner, 
is former Wolves GM Scott Layden. And Scott has a, a you know, it's not even an, an AirPod. He's, he's going old school with the wire and he's got the earpiece in. And, and it's a crowded bar. You know, I don't know what night it was, but pretty crowded bar. People getting after it. But it in Friday the corner, yep. was that Friday? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the corner, you know, all by his lonesome and just, you know, far enough away that the noise wasn't bothering him was Scott Layden, unbeknownst to me, working the phones and finalizing this deal with Philly. And to this day, I've never felt more awkward because I had seen Scott at the game already. I'd already kind of done that thing where you say hello, and now I can tell he's on the phone, but I I don't want to be rude. So I give it just one of these awkward waves. Hi, Scott. How you doing, Scott? Waving at him, and and he just kind of shoots me this look like, yo, I'm I'm busy here. You know what I mean? And and, and little did we know they were getting that thing done. Uh, We'll see where the Simmons thing lands. Now, great perspective there. After the break, we're going to stay on here with John, and we, we are rewriting the script because he's bringing so much to the show. Um, you've had a lot of stuff going on in Minnesota lately, brother, with the T-Wolves and, and all the upheaval. So we'll get into that after this break here. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we are back. We appreciate John Krasinski giving us a little OT work here. Johnny, uh, you are not only the Ben Simmons Harden uh, expert and uh, your team in Minnesota, we kind of joked about you being the captain of, of drama. The Jimmy Butler is one thing. This story that that you were all over with Sham Sharania, I guess now 10 days ago or so, in the upheaval in the front office, Gerson Rosas, of course, has seen an end to his short tenure. Uh, Sachin Gupta is taking over and, and the kind of the future remains. And you can help us ha- add clarity, but, you know, somewhat uncertain if he's going to head up the front office, you know, for uh, the foreseeable future. But the bigger picture here, of course, is just continued changes, continued um, off-court um, situations that just don't don't help this squad. Carl Anthony Towns is is quickly becoming the guy that that is a hell of a player and who's not going to accomplish anything collectively um, other than that one playoff appearance because everything around him is, has been in shambles. And certainly on a personal side, he's been through hell and back. I don't know exactly where to start, but I guess I'll start here. A few weeks back, I think this is fair to share. As always, you're always all over everything in Minnesota, and you had given me a, a shout, and like we do oftentimes, wanted to talk through different things you were hearing and material, and and you saw this coming from a mile away. You knew that around Gerson, there was a lot of frustration and a lot of negativity when it comes to the culture that, uh, I know that's an overused word, but it's it's a real thing that Folks were not feeling him uh, in terms of his uh, the way that he was leading their group, and and that something might at some point break here. Um, you were jump in if I'm getting this wrong, but you were kind of you know there's a lot of downplaying of of the substance and and how serious it was, and obviously that was not the case. And so when the move happened, you were incredibly well positioned to write a great piece on 
on the behind the scenes kind of machinations. But um, take us through that a little bit. Yeah, like you said, Sam, like really starting, I think I would say in um, Summer League uh, in Vegas, there started to be a lot of kind of chatter around the league about some people in the Timberwolves front office who were unhappy. Um, just some general discontent uh, with how things were going under Gerson Rosas, with his leadership style, with kind of just the environment all around. One of the things that is kind of Shakespearean is this: in this is that Sachin Gupta w- had an offer from the Houston Rockets earlier on in the summer and to go there and be the number two in Houston for a, for a pay raise. And Gerson Rosas blocked that move because it was a, a lateral move and it was right before kind of train, uh, draft and free agency and all those things. And so they felt that it wasn't the right thing for the Timberwolves to let him go do that. Uh, there were definitely other cases um, throughout the or the front office of, of just disenchantment with Gerson Rosas. And so uh, I, I had several people around the league come up to me in Vegas and say, hey, you better start looking into this because it sounds like there's a lot of rumblings. And so I did follow up with it. I did look into it. And there were definitely, you know, more than a handful of people in on the on Gerson Rosas' staff who were not happy with how things are going. Um, really started to pursue that heavily as we got into September. And as you know, then I started to get some pushback as well from other people saying, hey, look, a lot of people around the league are unhappy right now. The pandemic, we've been working for two years straight. People are angsty and they're at each other's throats. Um, there's also a lot of pressure uh, on this particular organization because there's a new ownership group coming in. And so people are feeling it. And so there were some worthwhile, I think, uh, rebuttals to some of the uh, some of the complaints, but I, I knew it wasn't going away. And so I was continuing to pursue it. And, and even got to the point of, of discussing it with Gerson Rosas on the record, you know, and just kind of getting his his replies to to some of the evidence that I was presenting to him. But um, as we were kind of getting closer to getting ready to publish a story that kind of really encapsulated the entire uh, drama behind the scenes, then Gerson Rosas is abruptly fired, um, you know, uh, the Shams and I and the reporting that we've done is that you know, that the ownership got, grew increasingly uh, concerned about the environment and the culture inside the front office. But then also he had an inappropriate relationship with another married coworker that was making a lot of people uncomfortable as well. And so that just was kind of, I think, the straw that broke the camel's back, if you want to say. And so they decided to move on and elevate Sachin Gupta just to, <laughs> you know, the, the 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 Mount Rushmore of Timberwolves dysfunction is a very difficult mountain to get to, um, but this one goes right on, right belongs right near the top of it. It was uh, it was quite a, a, a ten day period there for sure. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. You know, you talk about Sachin Gupta and and the what if scenarios even of his life and his career. I mean, he was trying to be the Kings GM, mm-hmm. and that job ultimately went to Monty McNair. Uh, the Rockets' opportunity, um, it, correct me if I'm wrong, was was a, a, essentially the identical positioning within the front office, but it was it included a, a significant raise. Is right. that accurate? That's correct. Yes. To which it's funny. I talked to someone else around the league, fairly high stature, about this story, and they had said, and I think folks would generally agree. They had said, "Listen, you know, there's you just can't f with people's money." Like that was one thing that. 
that I think is, is part of the discussion because at face value, you say, well, he wasn't even getting elevated. If it's a lot more cash, you know, and I do understand at the time, I think Gerson's reasoning he had said was that you're going through the draft and there's somewhat proprietary information and intel that, that you don't want to go with that employee to the other team. But, you know, it didn't end well for him. Um, I wonder, let's take it this direction. You got this new ownership group coming in with Mark Lauren and Alex Rodriguez. How have they processed this entire situation? Because it's, hey, welcome to the NBA. You're now in the middle of a, a not not a very positive story. Yeah, I, I do think that, you know, it's interesting because they have bought in 20% of the franchise under Glenn Taylor. And the plan is over the next two years to get to a majority control, but they technically are not majority owners. So they're just kind of underlings to Glenn Taylor right now. But given the, all of the context of their plans to eventually become majority owners, they have essentially rolled up their sleeves and really done a deep dive into the organization, um, into the culture, into what needs to be fixed, what needs to be changed. And a lot of their, their discussions with employees uh, during the last several months, the, these kinds of uh, themes have continued to emerge with them and really got on their front burner and said, wow, you know, there are really some real problems here that we need to address. And so in, in many ways, they are being kind of not drivers of the decision-making here, but certainly playing big roles in the decision-making process and in kind of maybe opening Glenn Taylor's eyes to a little bit more of, of what they're hearing behind the scenes because they're just having a much closer look uh, to what's going on in a, in, in a much fresher perspective. So they are uh, playing big roles in this. They're being very active and they are front and center in some of the decisions that are getting made and will continue to be going forward, whether it's future leadership, whether it's trades, whether it's, you know, all these things, they're trying to set things up. So when they take over fully there, it's a, it's a seamless transition. Do you see, and guys jump in uh, as always, whenever you feel like it, but in terms of setting the stage here, do you see change, more changes coming? Um, you know, you got Sachin heading it up. There's been some reporting that ownership has a previous relationship with Elton Brand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is some chatter around the league that, that you know, this is not ultimately how it's going to look. What do you think there? Well, there's certainly, I think, uh, a belief uh, around the league that these two new owners very much want to make a splash and um and and make kind of their own higher high profile kind of send a message around the league that this you know kind of uh small mom and pop shop is no longer being run the same way and and they're going to do things differently that said sam uh they have made it clear to such gupta that this is his job right now and there is not going to be an immediate search that is taking place they want to get a little bit of stability, to let Suchin do the job and see how he goes. He does have a really good relationship with Mark Laurie, especially. Um, and so they're going to let him kind of grow in it and they're going to monitor it closely because one of the things that they're working through right now is both Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez are not NBA guys. So they're really trying to figure out the whole landscape of the thing. Yes, they know Elton Brand. They have a few other relationships around the league, just kind of in, in, in bumping into people, but to kind of, you know, really execute a quality search, learn all the candidates, really learn what you what you have in Sachin Gupta and in this entire organization, that's going to take some time. And so I don't think that there's going to be anything immediate that goes into play here. They want to monitor what Sachin does and then also really get a, a better idea of what their options are 
before they make any decisions one way or the other on that. Yeah, I I love that we're we're talking about how this situation is on the Mount Rushmore of Timberwolves drama, and then moving forward with it, we're like, you know what? Let's add a Rod to the mix. Yeah, because that's. Not? <laughs> That's going to stifle this down. That's just like taking Diet Coke and just tossing the entire pack of Mentos in there. And then you're just good to go. Uh, I'm curious about Sachin because he has a reputation for being this very smart guy with an analytics background. He is uh, the 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 bit of trivia that always gets brought up with him is that he's the guy who created the ESPN trade machine. And I tweeted that out the other week, and all of these real GM stands came after me saying the real GM had a trade machine before okay. ESPN. All right. Don't yeah. care. He didn't yeah. create that one. He created the ESPN one. Right. Uh, and, and you know, he's been with Philly. He's been with Houston, right? Yep. Uh, and uh, then he's been under Rosas. So he's worked with a number of different um, analytics forward organizations as well. How much is that going to be part of of their philosophy moving forward? And I know I know Rosas kind of had a background in that as well, coming from Houston. But how much of that is is going to be a part of their process moving forward under him? And and do you see kind of their uh, their player evaluation process changing at all with with the the changeover? Yeah, it, it will be interesting because you're right, Fred. In terms of like Gerson Rosas, even though he came from Houston and certainly was steeped in analytics and educated in it, he came from more of a scouting background. He was more of, of, of just kind of the pro personnel scout and, and the, the guy who beat the bushes in Europe looking for talent and things like that. Suchin is definitely more on the, the numbers side of things. And so I do think that there were probably some people in the organization who believed that maybe some of the, the, the intel and the, the, the homework that they were doing wasn't exactly kind of hitting home with Gerson Rosas. And I think that they will get a more willing ear with Gupta. But I also do think that Gupta is very kind of cognizant of the, the characterization of especially process Sixers guys that it's, you know, or Daryl Morey, you know, is that it's, they're all just numbers on a page. It's zeros and ones. And let's just kind of get there. Like he, he does want to kind of, you know, really make the human element part of it. And that's where I think that the difference going forward with this new Timberwolves regime is going to be in the past under Gerson Rosas, he was the voice. He was out front. He was not bashful. He was um, very much kind of the spokesman of the organization. I think Gupta is quieter. He is much more of a listener. And so I think Chris Finch, the coach, is going to be a little bit more of the voice going forward just for the basketball part of things. And he's going to have an even greater role in evaluation in kind of, um, you know, looking at other players around other teams and, and things like that, that will, that will play a bigger role in, in, in determining what kind of moves are being made in this organization in the near term. And really for the next probably season, at least. Is, is Gupta just going to be judged on if he can get Ben, ben Simmons to Minnesota or not? Well, I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's it. That's the, that's the problem or that's his challenge. I would say, right. Slater is like, he knows, even though he doesn't have the interim tag, he knows he's essentially an interim guy. And so if you want to, do you make the decisions that you think are best for the organization or the one that's going to get you the job? Because I do know ownership is very bullish on Ben Simmons. They, they want, they, they're very intrigued by the idea of adding him to 
Towns, Edwards. A-Rod wants a splash, baby. A-Rod wants a splash. And so, but like if they do add him and they make the playoffs, I mean, that's a pretty good step forward. Now, if they add him and it blows up, well, then, you know, they're going to go their separate ways. But I do think that it's up to Gupta to do enough to make sure that he can say what exactly a, a front office philosophy looks like with Gupta in charge. He's got to make some moves, whether it's Simmons or others that show how he differentiates differentiates from Gerson Rosas and why they should, they should keep him. John, what would your kind of informed speculation be about a, a possible Simmons deal? There's obviously not close enough right now to make something happen. We're not hearing anything about yeah. traction progress, but it does seem like at least if you talk about active talks, they have been far more active than other teams. What what might that look like? Yeah, they, so they they want to get in. I think that you know Simmons' value around the league is is pretty low, but but the, but the Wolves are bullish. They they want to be at the head of this table. Um, what they're hoping for, they know that they don't have the the, the pieces to give Daryl Morey that are immediately going to help him win a championship. And so the hope is is that maybe if Daryl Morey gets pressed into a corner, maybe he would take a draft pick heavy package from the Wolves and then use some of those picks to later on down the line to go get a Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal, whoever the next disgruntled star is that says, I want out. Now, uh, Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns are really the only two that are completely off the table in talks. I think everyone else is available. They would probably rather keep Russell, but if they got to make a move to do it, I think in the end they they would. Jaden McDaniels is a piece that people like. And then a Timberwolves draft picks, as Slater knows, are more valuable on the open market. I'm about to picks. I'm about to go watch one tonight. Jonathan Kaminga making his debut yeah. in Portland. I will be uh, watching a Minnesota draft pick. There you go. Yeah. So is so Carl that, that is, could be it. What about Cat? I mean, we all know just kind of the influence that franchise centerpieces have in, in today's league. Uh what's any any clarity on his view of Ben and that possible partnership? Yeah, I mean, I think that I mean Cat and Ben have gotten along well for a long time. They had a kind of a wrestling match when uh when Cat threw down with Embiid a couple of years ago, but all in all, they're they're in, they're in, they're on good terms. And D'Angelo Russell and Ben Simmons went to high school together, so they're they're good too. So I I think that Cat is at a point where whatever can be done to make this team viable, like he's going to essentially be for. He has had five head coaches and six uh, general managers in his as he's and he's about to start his seventh season. Crazy. So he's That's about crazy. done with kind of all of the ifs and what's. So if, if something can be done that would immediately catapult the Wolves into playoff conversation, I think that he would welcome that. As I, I told you the other day when we talked on the phone, I, I saw one of those former head coaches in, in San Diego yeah. this week. Uh, Ryan Saunders was was kind of hanging out with the Nuggets and doing what coaches do when they're in between jobs. Um, so great stuff on Minnesota. I think super producer Andrew Schleck needs one more break out of us. So we're going to go to another quick break. Come back and talk a little bit of Knicks to cap this thing off. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. 
Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, we're back. Thank you for sticking with us here. John, you are just, you're, you're, this was not by design, as you know. This entire pod came together very late in the process. I decided to freelance at the 11th hour and lo and behold, happened to pick the guy who has like unique angles on every topic that we're getting into. So Fred Katz, and his job change to Nick's beat writer yes. is something we wanted to highlight. Very happy for him. Can't wait to read, you know, his his always thorough, deep, candid coverage on the Knickerbockers. Uh, but they are coached by one Tom Thibodeau, a guy <laughs> that that you got to know well, that who I know well uh, from all these years being around him. He's he's a character uh, to say the least. Uh, and and uh, if you've never heard it on our sister pod. Uh, the athletic NBA show Jay King's impersonation of Tom Thibodeau <laughs> is legendary. So um, uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of Nick stuff we could get into, but let's start there. Just wise words from one former Thibodeau beat writer to another. What What is Fred uh, in kind of in for here? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. Like, I think people watch him on the court and I'm sure, you know, Jay does the impressions of eyes, eyes, you know, and like and 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 how volatile he is and it's volatile it's it's nasty little the stuff that comes out of his <laughs> mouth is unbelievable but he looks like this really kind of mean you know tyrant of a dude but behind the scenes like in practices with the media um after games he's very measured he is totally cool he is respectful of the media but he doesn't give you great answers usually it's it, you know sometimes he does but a lot of times he holds things close to the vest, but he's very generally easy to get along with. Um, when if on the on the off chance you can find him in the summer, you know, for a beer or a glass of wine, he's an unbelievable storyteller and a and a and a and an awesome guy to hang out with when he's relaxed. But as the season starts, as the wins and losses come, as that hard shell goes around him. Like he does become all business. He's not going to play a lot of games. He's not going to joke, joke and, and laugh. At you. He's not going to call you off the record and, 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 um, and, and kill some player or some coach or, or, or something behind the scenes. He is, he is in his own little world. And I do think like it works so much better in New York than it did here because he does not have to be the GM and the president of basketball operations. He's got Leon and Wes and, Scott Perry and all those guys to do all of the politicking and the baby kissing, and he can just coach. It's the perfect situation for him there. Yeah, you know what's interesting? They have a good mix of player personalities there too. Like I, th- I think with him, 
I've always been a big believer that that we kind of oversimplify the topic when we talk about someone's a good coach, someone's a bad coach, when the reality is almost everyone who is good enough to be an NBA coach is a good coach for some players and a bad coach for other players. Now, I think there are some players, John, as you've seen, who don't respond to tips positively because that personality can be grating if you don't have the proper personality to receive his coaching the way that he likes to coach. And I know the Knicks have made a very, very concerted effort to bring in Tibbs players. Because you see on the other side, there are some guys who are attached to him at the hip, like Mm -hmm. Derrick Rose and Taj Gibson, who just absolutely refuse to play for anybody else, apparently. Uh, And and I think the the Knicks have a few guys like that. It it seems like Julius Randle has, has really very proudly become one of those guys. You know, he's talked about the way that Tibbs has affected his work ethic. I'm, I'm going to have a story out probably tomorrow uh, about Emmanuel quickly and and about his relationship with Tibbs and how when Tibbs really gets on him and starts yelling at him, quickly starts laughing. Uh, and, and I asked quickly about it. And he said to me, yeah, it's because I love it. I love it when he yells at me like that. It's great. He's just trying to make me better. And you could see his face kind of like lights up. Like I, unless he is the greatest 20 year old actor ever. I mean, he's, he, he really does love it. Uh, And so I know the Knicks have made a very concerted effort to bring in those sorts of personalities who respond well to that type of coaching. I I think that's, that's probably why they, they outplayed their expectations last year. I'm sure that's a huge part of it. Well, and you also, Fred, like, I think the, the, the mentality of that roster is you had a lot of guys who had been kicked around the league a few times, you know, other than Barrett, but like he, he, he received his criticism too. But like, I think the best player for a Tibbs player for a Tibbs player is someone who has tried it other ways and failed. And so like a lot of those guys are, were at kind of the point in their career where it's like, all right, I kind of got to listen to this guy and at least try it out because what else I've done hasn't really worked. And there's a humility, I think, in that roster that responds well to that. And, and so maybe that wasn't always the case here or, or, or in other places, but Derek Rose put through the ringer um, for some of his own fault and, and, and all those things. But he was at a very low point when Tibbs reached out and gave him another chance in Minnesota. And that kind of thing, you, so you come in and you're willing to take the criticism or, or kind of the hard-nosed nature of things, I think, a little bit more than if you've either had a lot of success or you're coming you know, in as a super high pick with all these expectations um, and, and, and a little bit more ego with it. So I, I think that plays into it as well. If your name well, is Carl is... Anthony Towns, that's that, that's, that's it. Sorry. Go ahead. Not saying, just saying uh, there's it's going to be an interesting year though because as as we know the the book on Tibbs is that you know uh, that he, that he grinds on you to the point that year two yeah becomes even more interesting year three even more so he's, he's not necessarily shown that ability to have a long runway with some of these teams even the ones that he's had success with uh, one of a kind personality uh, I keep going down memory lane John I remember when I had Tibbs on on my old podcast at USA Today and it was in person in Minnesota, sat in his office. To this day, like the only dude who you had to set up the audio equipment, it was literally like eight feet from his mouth. Like his desk was so big. That, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, oh, he's very I, proud of the, the, the office in Minnesota. Best office in the league. 
Well, the office, but then just the boom in his yes. voice. It was hilarious. When you listen to the audio, it's as if he was chewing on the microphone <laughs> and he was eight feet away. Uh, so no problem hearing him. And, and you do. You hear those calls at, at Summer League when maybe the gym is quiet and he's just screaming his head off. So uh, we'll see what they do. Freddie, congrats again, man. We're happy for you. New challenge. Uh, well kudos to you for yep. taking it on. That's fantastic, man. Can't wait. It's going to be fun. First, nah, it's uh, good stuff. first preseason game Tuesday night. So, ready to go. I like it. Johnny, Mine's this uh, the Yankees playoff game against oh, the Red Sox, baby. which is rough. My first question to Tibbs after the game is going to be about Aaron Judge's home run in the second inning. So, we'll see. <laughs> the magic is in the work, Fred. Sa- Sam, can I? I was feeling a little left out. I just quickly wanted to have another John Krasinski, you know, tangentially related storyline. Yes. Uh, just because we talked about it for about 15 minutes last bonus, week. Bonus content. Let's hear it. Andrew Wiggins was vaccinated. It's Yay! Impor- important news for the Warriors. <laughs> um, he will play. Hold on, Andrew. So. Can you can you cut out John's yell right there and make that a regular part of the show? John just yelled <laughs> like you just had your another child. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, for for two reasons: the fact that John's on the podcast, and then also just we talked about it last week, so that uh, issue has been solved. Yeah, and Slater, like we we kind of exchange a couple of messages about this, but like I covered Andrew for six seasons in Minnesota, and when I saw that one that one appearance with the media, and Janie, I think, is asking him a few questions, and and he's just basically saying. I'm on my time, not yours. And, and like responding very emphatically, I have never seen Andrew Wiggins care about anything the way that he was in that. He was always the coolest guy in the room. You could not rattle him. He never got upset or anything. He was legit upset there. That was like, I've just never seen it. Yeah. He he was legit upset. Um, in that room, he was legit upset with the Warriors that that, that the news got out. It, it it was kind of a weird time around them, and obviously with with everything just going on globally, and and the fact that San Francisco is probably the most liberal city out there, it just it all kind of swirled. But issue has been solved for them. Oh, well, so, that so ends they're, well. Yeah, they're moving on. Yeah, John uh, Andrew did not look as happy as he did that day that you walked by him at the craps table table in Vegas during summer league <laughs> yeah. and Fred and Slater, I, I can't really replicate it, but you should have seen it. Andrew sees Mr. John Krasinski coming down the way and all of a sudden forgets about all the money he has on the table. And, <laughs> and uh, there might've been an embrace. Y'all, y'all clearly get along pretty well, but um, great dude. Yeah. Wiggins is back in the fold. Maybe next week we'll talk about Mr. Irving out in Brooklyn and, and uh, what's going to happen there. That one remains undetermined. All right, guys, great stuff. John, thank you again. Again, off the cuff, you gave us a whole lot of time and fantastic insight. Keep up the great work. Thank you to all the listeners, as always, for tuning in. Be good, guys. Thanks, boys. That was great. Yay! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.